me and your copy of the Word of God. Thank you, praise and worship. Thank you, Kanita. Thank you, Kanita, for your leadership. And we are so grateful that we are able to walk into the presence of the Lord every Sunday through our spirit-filled praise and worship team. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give the Lord a hand clap if you can. Yes. David said, if you thought that was bad, I'll praise him with an, un, an even more undignified praise. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we read, beginning in verse 8, Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So he eyed David from that day forward with suspicion. I'll add that word, and that's what it means to eye, is to look upon someone with suspicion. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for all that you've done, and we thank you for what you're going to do even today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. mic off. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Fix me. I'm broken. One of the hardest situations to deal with in the 14 years of my hospice experience as a chaplain is visiting the bedside of a dying person who looks perfectly healthy. I'm thinking about a 42-year-old husband and father of three children. He ate all of the right foods. He worked out in the gym five times a week. This successful executive was well-liked and a model for other men to follow. He was the ideal role model mentor. His entire world changed forever one night that started like all other nights. When he didn't return from his workout at the normal time, his wife became concerned. After multiple attempts to reach him by cell phone failed, she drove to the gym where her husband worked out in a private area. She found him lying on the floor. It looked like he had fallen from the treadmill, he was unresponsive. She later learned that her husband had been down on the floor for at least two hours before she found him. As I'm hearing her story, I see her husband lying in the bed, the father of three. Physically, he looked amazing but his life expectancy was hours to days as all of his vital organs were shutting down. How could a man who looked so healthy be hours away from death? 
The problem that struck him down started in his head. He suffered a major brain aneurysm. From the shoulders down, he looked fine, but from the neck up, he was medically messed up. The bleeding in his brain, known as a hemorrhagic stroke, was preventing proper blood flow. How many of you know when your brain dies, even if your heart is still beating because you're on a respirator or you're on some other artificial, life-sustaining medical equipment, you are clinically dead. You are dead. And so while he looked physically astounding and fit, this man at age 42 was struck down from a brain aneurysm from the neck up that controlled everything else. He was as worse off as you could possibly be. How many of you know that you don't need to have a brain aneurysm to be messed up from the neck up? When your mind works against you rather than for you, you are broken and need to be fixed. Now, what's interesting, as I was listening to the Lord's direction about this sermon, I realized that I had preached a sermon about the mind not long ago, and the Lord said, do it again. Not the same message, but it really starts here. It all starts here. There's no other person in the entire Bible that illustrates how outwardly you can appear just fine. But from the neck up, you're totally wrecked. You can see when a car is wrecked on the side of the road. In fact, when I was coming to church today, it was a major car wreck. Somebody got T-boned. You can see the dent. You can see the smoke. You can see the glass. But when this is wrecked, a person can be looking right at you and having an amazing conversation, it seems, until it goes beyond what day it is, what you want to eat, what color clothes you're going to wear. Now you've got some interesting things that are beginning to demonstrate that there's something not quite right. King Saul is the poster child for all who are victims of their thought life. He was messed up from the neck up. And so when I talk about our, our minds, our thoughts not working properly and helping us to accomplish the purposes for which God created us for, I'm not talking about mental health diagnoses. There, and we're not making light of that, and that's not the purpose or the focus of this message that there are people who genuinely have uh, different types of psychiatric diseases that need uh, psychosocial uh, therapy and psych psychiatric medication sometimes. We're not talking about that. We're talking about people that you contact or you come in contact with on a daily basis that are your coworkers, that are your neighbors, that you sleep next to as your spouse, or you may find that person uh, looking at you when you're looking at yourself in the mirror. That's what I'm referencing today. So we don't want to ever make light of people who genuinely have medical and mental conditions that can be treated and should be treated properly. 
Now, first of all, I want to talk about who was this man named Saul. And I have to tell you, when I look at his life, he's not my favorite biblical character, but I see a lot of myself in Saul. And the Bible says that these things were written for your admonition, for your example, so that we can learn. I don't have to jump off the Empire State Building to understand that gravity works. And you will be a scrambled human egg if you hit the ground from that top floor. These things were written for our example. What we discover about this man named Saul, before he was ever a king, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, the Bible says there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherah, and a Phi, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son, say handsome, yeah. whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From, the, from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. From his shoulders upward. He was taller, but he was messed up from the neck up. Now, here are some of Saul's strengths that when you talk to people that are like Saul, one of the things that the enemy will do when you use spiritual weapons to help people that are in bondage to tormenting thoughts. The Bible tells us that we do have weapons, but our weapons are not worldly. They're not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. We have weapons. But when you come against fortresses, strongholds, that the devil has established around someone's thought life, you are in for the fight of your life. That is why Jesus said, some of these don't come out except through fasting and praying. To loose and bind some things, we got to touch and agree. The church needs to get into earnest prayer. And you need to sincerely call on God to help people that can't see that their own thoughts are strangling the life out of their future potential. Now, his social strengths included Saul was the fifth son of the tribe of, of, the, of a generation of men from the tribe of Benjamin. He came from a family of strong male leadership. He was not one of the six out of ten African-American families that don't have a father living in the home. This was a brother who was a fifth-generational son of strong men. In fact, his father, whose name was Kish, the Bible says that he was a mighty man of valor. He was a man of honor. He was a man of integrity and character. And this title was not bestowed upon someone just out of platitudes and, and trying to flatter people. When you call someone a mighty man of valor, you were saying that this was one of the most courageous and bravest of warriors. Kish wasn't the kind of guy that would start a fight, 
but he sure would finish it. He wouldn't mess with you, but you didn't want to mess with Kish. So Saul came out of that type of family background. That was a social strength that Saul had. He also had financial strength. Kish, as you study in 1 Samuel chapter 9, he was an entrepreneur. He had, he had a large, prosperous business, and he had multiple staff and resources that were part of his, uh, uh, of his business. In fact, that would mean that Saul wore the blessed clothes, he went to the private schools, he had his Jordans, he had his MJs, you name it, he had it, and there was nothing that was too expensive because dad had it like that. He was balling. That's the kind of family financially that Saul came from. The Bible also said that he had some physical strength. Look at what the Word of God says. And he had a choice son who was handsome. In fact, there was no one who looked. This brother would have been on the cover of GQ. He was stunning. When Saul walked into the room, ladies, even the brothers would stop and look at him. Dude, dude. This is one of those bromances where he was so handsome and good-looking. I mean, I couldn't imagine that he didn't look much like me. You know, <laughs> the brother was tall, dark, and handsome. You know, when, before I had four kids, I was six foot three. <laughs> Big old afro. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you another one if you believe that. And so he had it going on. He was a choice young man. He was in his prime. He was not just a handsome. He was physically fit. This guy just was strapping. And he said, oh, man, this brother, this brother. Did you see the new man that was the brothers at the church? Yeah, I was praying. And then all of a sudden, he walked up and looked. I went from looking toward heaven and almost forgot I was in church. <laughs> so he had physical and social and financial strength. But the most important strength that Saul had was spiritual. Listen to what the Bible says in verses 15 through 17 of 1 Samuel chapter 9. It says, now the Lord had told Samuel the seer, the prophet, the visionary, the, the covering of the Israel, the house of Israel, he said in his ear the day before Saul was saying, tomorrow about this time I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. God was having this private conversation with the prophet. He said, I'm going to send a man, and his, he's from the tribe of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him as commander over my people Israel. I don't give you the, prop, the, the responsibility, Samuel, of choosing. I'm making this choice. You shall anoint him as commander over my people, and he, that he may save my people from the hands of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, my people, because their cry has come to me. So Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, there he is, the big dude, the handsome guy, the GQ guy, there he is. The man of whom I spoke to you, this is the one that shall reign over my people. And so here was his spiritual strength. He was appointed by God. 
God hand-selected him. I want you to understand that Saul is not unique in that regard because the Bible says before the foundation of the earth, God has pointed and elected and predestinated you unto salvation. God knew you before there was a you. He was watching over you in your mother's womb. He was, in fact, involved in your informing you and creating everything that there is that is true of you today. And so God has appointed you. He has selected you. But he also affirms what he has appointed you to through his word. In, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 27, when, when, when uh, 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 Saul asked, why are you saying this to me? The prophet Samuel said, thus saith the Lord. He affirms what God, what God appoints you to. He will affirm it through his word. He will affirm it through his word. Not only did he affirm it through his word, he anointed Saul through the prophet. That is, he gifted him. He, he made, gave him the enabling. Whatever God has appointed you to and affirms you to, he will enable you, equip you to do it. He will never ask you to do what he, has, he doesn't enable you to do. Each one of us has at least one spiritual gift. And one day we're going to stand before the Lord, and the question will be, how did you use what I gave you? And some will say, well, Lord, like the foolish servant that I buried mine, the Lord said, okay, you foolish and unworthy servant. You're not going to get a reward, but you have a gift. And the Lord tells us to use what he has anointed us to do. And you just need to be careful that you have an anointing for it. You have a, you have a skill set that God gave you that we must work the works of him who sent us while it is day in your life because the night, the night, the shade is being drawn. The night is coming when no man can work. We will stand before God when the shade has been pulled because it is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, we will stand before the Lord. So he, he appointed him, affirmed him, anointed him, and then he authenticated what God will do when you've been called a preacher, teacher, uh, whatever the gift may be, the gift of wisdom, the counseling, the gift of uh, knowledge and all the other, the gift. Believe it or not, God gives the gift of giving. <laughs> That's a gift. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Everything that God said that would happen, and you need to read the story. What a, what a powerful story that will remind us that when God, if you're unsure about your call, God will confirm it. He will authenticate it. He will prove that it's true. So the prophet said, Samuel says to Saul, everything that I told you that will happen will occur. So before God even sends Saul and presents him before the people as their first new king, he, he gives all kinds of signs and evidence. This is my, you are my hand-chosen vessel. And so he had those spiritual qualifications going for him. He had everything going for him. It seemed from the shoulders down. I remember uh, with all these positive strips, we had, I, I played baseball. I'm real good at it. In fact, I played semi-professional. And uh, you take that by faith. I actually did. But when I played in high school, played at Simon Gratz High, there was a guy, there were always, I, I, I sometimes I just wanted to be on the team because of the uniform. I like the uniform. And, uh, so, but there were guys on the team that just seemed to be, just looked like models in their uniform. We had a guy on our team, he looked better than anybody else in his uniform, and he had the most perfect batting stance in the batter's cage. I mean, when he was warming up, he just could hold that bat and twist his legs and bend his shoulder, and I mean, and he'd be warming up before he gets in, and he'd be swinging at the straight, and everything that you're supposed to do, it was like perfect technique. But every time he got in the batter's box, 
He had a perfect record of strikeouts every single, he struck out every time. Now here's the deal. <laughs> While he looked perfect in the batter's cage, <laughs> when he got into the actual game to, 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 to face real competition, the brother, he would always go like this. When the pitcher would wind up and it was time to swing, he'd go, he'd lift up his arms and he'd say, shriek, shriek. He would never swing the bat. I want you to understand that everything that you need to succeed, God has provided it. You have his strength. You have the spirit of God living in you. He has a call on your life. He has made ways so that you can serve because your gift will make room for you. But if you never swing the bat, if you never take a swing, if you never use the skills, if you don't develop and cultivate the gifts that are within you, you're going to strike out. And in your mind... You will be messed up. He also had some glaring weaknesses in his thought life. Glaring weaknesses. Brothers and sisters, when you're considering who you're going to spend your life with, it's one thing to swap spit with somebody. It's a whole nother thing. He put a ring on it. Yeah, that's all right. You can give the ring that he put a ring on. You can give it back. But here's, one of the, here's some of the, 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 the weaknesses that Saul had in his thought life. The first was he was insecure. He lacked confidence and felt inadequate. He didn't think he was good enough, but was jealous of everybody who he felt was a threat. Listen to what the Word of God says. Then Saul was very angry. We read that in verse 8 of chapter 18. And at the saying they, that displeased him, they said that David, they ascribed 10,000 to David. David didn't kill no, kill no 10,000. He killed the giant Goliath. And Saul was somewhere trembling in his boots because he was the one who gave David his armor and said, go and fight him. I know you're a teenager, and we'll do your obituary. We'll say some nice things about you. <laughs> you know, We won't let the buzzers eat too much of you, but we'll get your body. And he just knew David was dying. David said, look, I'm sorry, king. I'm not familiar. I can't fight with your armor. What God has equipped you to do, you have an armor for, but your armor don't fit me. But I get just like David had to stand before Goliath, you have some Goliath that God has already prepared you, and all you need is some faith and some stone. <laughs> because faith without works is dead. And so he said he was angry and upset, and he thought, man, look, they didn't give David all the credit. Take the spotlight. I'm in, he's so insecure and feeling inadequate. Oh, he should have been exciting and celebrating the fact that giant, the giant was dead, that David and he were on the same team, that what God has for you is for you, and what God has for me. You don't have to be mad at me. But he was insecure. Insecure people will feel threatened when they're not the spotlight, when they're not being recognized, when they're not the center of attention, when you're not promoting them. He was also indecisive. He waited for things to happen rather than make things happen. He was afraid to make a mistake. One of the things that we do in parents, we need to 
The Bible said, train up a child in the way that he go. When, when they are old, they will not depart. One of the ways of training up a child is teaching them coping skills. That means you need to let your child fail. You need to allow your child. You go to the store, and uh, one of the things we do, we choose our children's clothes. We choose what they're going to eat. That's the way it was when I was growing up. We, you, what? I'm buying these clothes. You're going to wear what I buy. You're going to wear it as much as I want you to wear it. And whatever I put in front of you, no matter how you feel about it, you're going to eat that, and there ain't, there's no options. You ain't no McDonald's and Burger King. Whatever was put in front of you, that's what you were going to eat. And you ate with a smile. Somebody know what I'm talking about? So when you, when you, when you read about Saul, he's always about to make a decision. You remember I told you the story about the jump duck, you know, double dutch? You know how they got, dun, 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 and you bouncing back and forth. You're going to jump in. You're going to get in. You're going to do your thing, but you're always waiting for somebody to give you permission to do what God has already told you to do. You need to jump in, baby. You need to get about God's business for your life. You need to be about it, not thinking about it. He was indecisive. Ladies, you don't want a man that can't make a decision. Waiting for you. You are worn out. You can't, he, can't, he can't even tell you what, you know, uh, what day it is. I don't know. What day do you think it is? He was introverted. He was an introvert who hid from the call of God. Now, it doesn't, it's not a sin to be shy. But if you allow your shyness to keep you from the call of God, Moses was shy. When the Lord called him, said, I'm sending you back. He said, I've heard my people cry for 400 years, and I'm going to deliver them. And, and Moses said, yeah, God, get them. And I'm going to bring them out with a mighty hand. Yeah, God, get them. And they're going to worship me at this mountain. Yeah, God, get them. And he said, and I'm going to use you. <laughs> and Moses said, wait a minute. I'm a, I have a criminal, I'm a, I, got a, I, got, I got charges, I got a criminal background, felony charges, I, 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 I got a speech impediment, uh, all of my credentials, though I had all of these things going, and they're all irrelevant and obsolete, and the Lord says, surely I will be with you. So he was an introvert, and he allowed his shyness his agoraphobia, his fear of crowds or being in front of people to prevent him from, he, when they went looking for Saul after he had already been anointed and appointed and authenticated, the Bible says he was hiding among the bags. Oh, how humble. That wasn't humble. That was fear, an ungodly kind of fear, which was an indicator of things to come. He was an introvert who hid from the call of God. He was intimidated by thoughts and the thoughts of others and circumstances. Just look through this, go through, uh, first, through first Samuel starting in chapter 9 up until the time of Saul's death. He was always worrying about what other people thought. He was fearful. He, he was controlled by a spirit of fear. He was more concerned about what, other, what people thought about him than what God thought about him. Well, we better get this house together. The pastor's coming over. Why do you got to get it together when I'm showing up? You live there. 
If you ever get in my face again, I'll cut you. I'll stab you. I hate you. And da, da, da. You're yelling at the top of your voice. Somebody from the church called, praise the Lord. God is good all the time. How you doing, brother? I'm doing just fine. Well, you, everything okay at your house? Yeah, he said, because I just heard some very foul words. I was walking by your house. I wonder if Satan had stopped over somebody. But now nah, I know that everything's fine. I'll check you out later. See you at church. Make sure you bring your testimony when you come, okay? Saul was impulsive under pressure. In chapter 13, verses 11 through, uh, 8 through 11, the Bible says, Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel the prophet. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered in front of him. Now, what's interesting is Samuel said, In seven days I'll return and I'll give you additional instructions. How many of you know that you shouldn't go do anything else until God tells you to go to the next step? Now, here's the key. He said, I'll be there in seven days. But then he added, but wait until, until I come. The until requires faith. Seven days doesn't require faith. But until, because until is an unspecified time frame. And as soon, the Bible says, as soon as Saul operated out of his anointing, operating in the, in the place of the prophet, offering a sacrifice, the prophet shows up. And he said, what have you done? What have you done? Intimidated, impulsive. One of the things about people don't think right, when you're controlled by your feelings rather than by your faith, you're going to be making terrible decisions. I say to people who are upset and something bad has generally happened to them, I said, don't make a decision today. Don't do it today. Don't text them back. Don't call them back. Don't email them, Instagram, no, no, no hater pictures, none of that. But when your mind isn't working for you but against you, you're going to be impulsive. You're going to say things that you should have never said. I quit. I ain't coming back to this job. You can keep this job. Okay. They will say, and the intention was to get you upset so that you would quit. And now you're gone. He was also, here's the last, and this is not the only negative weakness in his thought life. He was irrational. He was impulsive, intimidated, introverted, indecisive. He felt insecure. But here's the biggest one, irrational in his thinking. Here's how he was. He doubted the call of God on his life. And Saul answered, and he said, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel? And my family is the least of the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why then do you speak like this to me? God had already called him. God had already anointed him. And he still said, oh, no. What are you talking about? One of the things you don't think rationally when your mind doesn't, if it's not controlled by the word of God, when you're not thinking godly thoughts, you'll question your call. How could God ever use me? You don't know my past. You don't know what I Guess who knows everything that you've ever done? God knows. Here's another irrational thought. God doesn't care. If God really cared, here's what happens when you're controlled by your feelings, by a mind that's not thinking right. If, he, if God really cared, why am I still hurting? Why haven't things gotten better? 
I said 15 Hail Marys, and I looked towards the west, and I threw some dirt in the air, and I put salt in the corner, and I brought all kinds of western oil, and some of the folk that came back from Jerusalem said they brought it from the Jordan. It looked muddy, but I took it, and I put it in all corners of my house, and I still got hell up in my house. God doesn't really care. God is partial. He's blessing others more than me. Well, he just gave them something that you're not ready for. And the problem is not that God doesn't want to give it to you. He just knows you ain't ready. God is waiting for you. If you would simply humble yourself, God will exalt you. There are things that he has to delay because if he released it to you today, you couldn't handle it. The word of God doesn't work. Irrational thinking. The word of God doesn't work. I know what he said on Sunday. Felt good on Sunday. Came to the altar. I even, I mean, I even slid up there. And I, I did all the things that I thought that you're supposed to do to, to get this thing right. I quoted the scripture. Man shall not live by bread alone. And if you, the blessings of the man. I said all of that. And I'm still in the same predicament. God never said that he was going to take the predicament away, but he did say, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who give it to men all liberally. He'll show you how to go through it. He'll show you how to go through it. And he said, I will never allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. With every situation that I have allowed, there's already a door open for you. It's just a question of will you walk through because you've got to apply this word. It's not enough to quote it. When you don't know who God truly is and what he's like, your thought life is going to be messed up. That's why one thing my wife and I, when she doesn't understand that I'm always right, <laughs> she forget that I'm the pastor. <laughs> no matter how carnal she is, or my, how I may be acting in carnality. The one thing I know is that my wife loved the Lord. I know that God's spirit is going to work on her just like he will work on me. But when somebody don't know the Lord, and even when we do, the Bible says our thoughts are not his thoughts, and neither are his ways our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his thoughts above our thoughts and his ways above our ways. We need to get our minds renewed in the word so that we will think right. But when you don't know what God is like, you will really believe he doesn't care. You will really believe he has forsaken you. You will really believe that there's no power in the word. Yeah. Now, let me share some consequences that resulted from Saul's being messed up from the head up. He really needed to be fixed. He was broken. A therapist ain't going to fix that. Some brokenness, only the Lord can heal your deepest wounds. I know you thought if you got a man, it'd be all right. If I got me a good woman who could just get me straightened out, I'd stop doing this and I'd stop doing that. If the Lord can't do it, it can't be done. Here are the consequences. Bad decisions. You're going to make some bad decisions. And Samuel, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly 
You have not kept the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom forever. His decision to, um, to be impulsive, to take matters into his own hands, not even pray about it. You know, acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, trust the Lord. Well, if you don't have a habit of asking the Lord to help you, you're going to make some bad choices, and your present decisions will impact your future blessings. He was dominated by fear. If you're not doing something, and here's, I was talking to a woman who's in charge of senior citizens' activity, uh, one of the busiest senior citizens, one of the most effective. I said, when do people get set in their ways? Because there's some people that are never going to leave their house, never going to drive their car, never going to get on a bus. It's too dark. It's too light. It's too cold. It's too this. It's too that. She said, when a person, she said, what I have observed, that when a person reaches the age of 67, in her experience, in her educated, from, I said, she said, once a person has not tried something, they ain't, they're not going to do it. They're just not going to do it. Now, now that, was, that was really interesting that she actually had a number that she applied. Now, that doesn't mean, that, that doesn't apply to everybody. Just dying, that doesn't mean everybody, amen? And now, of course, she's not 67. She's 37, but that doesn't apply to everybody. But when you are a person who was ref that refuses to try something because you're afraid, yeah. not because the Lord, if the Lord told you to do it, get to stepping. Yeah. Get after it. Yeah. If God be for me, yeah. who can effectively stand against me? God plus one is a majority. You know, I can do all things. Isn't that what we say? Greater is he who is what? In us than he that is in the world. But this man was dominated by fear. What one thing are you willing to trust the Lord to do this year that you've been afraid to do, but you know that's something you should do? Somebody said, I ain't getting on no plane. The Lord said, lo, I am with you always. He never said, no, he said, I'm with you everywhere. Here's what happens when, you, when your mind is not right. Broken relationships. You chase people who love you the most away. You have false enemies and fake friends. Saul had over 180 priests and their families murdered because he felt threatened by them because they helped David. You're going to be killing people that love you. You're going to be turning your phone off and blocking people from your family that love you and pray for you and want you to do well, the devil will convince you when your mind's not right that they are the ones who are trying to hurt you. Are you still with me? Yes. Tormented emotionally. The Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. That's Old Testament. The spirit of God, we are sealed by the spirit of God until the day of redemption. You can't lose the Holy Spirit since he has come and indwelled us. In the Old Testament, he came upon for anointing any contemporary. That's why David said, do not take your spirit. And so with the Lord, the Bible says that he replaced his spirit with an evil spirit. And what I believe that means is that God allowed Saul to, to have a mental illness. I think if there was a person who was a picture of what bipolarism is, Saul had bipolarism. He had these major mood swings. One minute he's laughing, the next minute he's throwing a spear at you. He was all over the place. And so the Lord allowed, God allowed a spirit of oppression to come over Saul's mind. That's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. He says, for this reason, some of you are sick, 
some of you are weak. I believe that word weak has to do with mental potential mental illness. When you are in disobedience and the chastisement of the Lord, when we fail to examine ourselves, as the Lord says that we should, consequence could be that he will allow sickness, he'll allow mental illness. And the Bible says some of you are even taken out of the world prematurely. Some of you sleep. This was Saul's experience. He was tormented emotionally. He was unfulfilled. He failed to fulfill his potential. God said, I would have established your kingdom forever. He said, but since you disobeyed me and operated outside of your anointing, your family will not be established. The decisions that you're making, the person that you yoke yourself up with that doesn't think right is going to shape your potential, not only for this life and your life, but for generations. So that when you talk about, again, going back to this whole thing, settling down and making choices, I'm going to do how I feel. You ain't going to tell me I'm grown. I work just like you, who you think you is. I put my pants on the same way you put your pants on. And I don't know about you, but I come from strong this and strong that. Okay, your decisions to deplete our account and to add, to, to, to purchase this or to borrow that or you will impact not only your life, but I realize that now the decisions I was making when I was younger is impacting my children right now. And Lord knows it's impacting my ability to retire. <laughs> I'm about to get a cup and a cane. For, to get, I want to retire from at least one of these jobs. <laughs> no, I ain't that bad. Okay, don't do anything that bad. As long as I got Brother Sumler helping me, I'm good. I'm fulfilled. Oh, you know, I'm in trouble. <laughs> okay. There are things that God has for you. And I believe when we get to heaven, it's going to be like, you're going to run up to, to, to you and worship the Lord. You'll see him face to face. And then you're going to notice that there's a, there, all of these gifts that are signed to where your mansion is. And you're going to see that they were never open. So, well, why weren't these open? Because these were gifts that I had provided for you that were part of you experiencing your full potential, but you never accessed them. You were always talking about what you could have, what you should have, what you would have done. And so you died without realizing your full potential because of this. Now, let's end it with this. How do you allow the Lord to fix what's broken in your mind? Anybody want to know? Yes. Well, a couple of you said yes. All right. The, the broken folk don't want to know, <laughs> including me. First, the thing, this is going to be really uh, contrary to the way we think. The first thing you need to do to think right is to lose your confidence in yourself. Listen to what the Word of God says, and, and uh, we got too much confidence in ourselves. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, if anyone else thinks that they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, of a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as zeal persecuting the church and his righteousness under the law, I was flawless. But whatever I gained, to me, I considered lost to gain Christ. And so he said, I was, he said, if anybody had credentials, family background, pedigree, and, and, and if, if anybody had a resume that you could just, that, was, that would be so very, he said, I could boast about that. But what I realized, everything that I thought I needed to be what I should be was keeping me from what I really needed most, and that was Jesus. 
He said, my desire now is that I might apprehend him who's already apprehended me, that I might experience Christ in the power of his resurrection, that Christ would be released in me in such a way that the same power that raised Christ from the dead would be activated in me. So when I speak, authority would come out of my mouth. When I pray, authority would come out and heaven would be shaken. That's what I want to experience in my life. Lose your confidence. You ain't that cute. You ain't that smart in terms of what matters to God because we can do nothing in our flesh that will please God. Leave the results of your labor to the Lord. You ever serve and everybody that serves gets patted on the back and recognized but you. Oh, they left your program off. You left your name off the program again. <laughs> you didn't get to sing your song. You picked the colors the week that they decided to go with different colors. Paul said, some are preaching for my detriment. They think by saying negative things to me, it promotes them while I'm in prison. But he said, I can rejoice even behind bars, because all that matters to me is that Christ is being proclaimed and people are getting saved. Leave the results to the Lord. Let God deal with your haters. Here you are letting people rent space up in your mind. Every time you think about them, it just drives you to a place, you to an abandoned road, and you're furious again. You've been celebrating in the Lord, and you walk out of the church, and that person that you've been allowing to dictate your emotions, they walk. God, devil had a way of just setting that timing up just right. Let God say, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Love your enemies. Pray for them who despitefully use you and bless them who curse you. Leave the results and let God handle. Let God handle it. Let God deal with the haters. Listen to God's voice. Somebody said listen to God's voice when your mind is under attack. You know, you can be doing just fine. And then the next thing you know, you you swallowed up with feeling inadequate, unattractive, got the biggest pimple in the middle of your head, and then hair one side long, and everything that nobody else is even paying attention to, that's what you see when you look in the mirror. Listen to God's voice when your mind attacks. Whether you should turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. Here's another thing. We're almost done. This blew my mind. I came on a strong conviction about this one when my brain isn't acting right, when I'm feeling depressed, when I'm feeling like not accomplishing anything. What have I done? What is my legacy? Where's, where's all this going? And, you know, why this and why that? Here's one of the things that helps. Lay prostrate before the Lord as you await him to unclutter your mind. The, the, the Greek word for prostrate, and you just read, just do a word study, it literally means to kiss the hand of God. It's a picture of a dog licking its master's hand. The ultimate act of humility, laying prostrate. When you look at the Bible, it means to get on your face 
and lay with your nose and lips on the ground and to stretch out your hands and just lay there. Just lay there. Uh, old folks, you say, stretch out on the Lord. Stretch out on the Lord. Sometimes when your brain ain't working right, you need to just stretch out. They would come, in fact, when you're reading the Bible, they would come to church to lay prostrate. Prostrate before the Lord. Just stretch out. And until your mind is where it ought to be, let your mind be stayed on. Until it's stayed on the Lord, you stay right there. You stay right before the Lord with your face on the ground, your hands outstretched. And you say, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. Deliver me, Lord. Set me free, Lord. And the Lord will respond to your act of humility. Learn to laugh at yourself when you do stupid stuff. I know that's bad English. But you ain't that serious. Stand with me. You ain't that, you're not that important, nor am I. I was using my wife's blender this morning. Who I, told, I done told her a hundred times, throw this old thing away. I didn't say piece of junk, but throw this thing. I can't believe we still got this thing on. Why, why we got this on the counter? And I put some stuff in that blender that you should not put in a blender. And that old thing started, doom, da, doom, da, doom. I mean, I just started laughing because it was jumping off the counter. It was literally, <laughs> but that thing worked it out. It worked, and man, it broke up all those frozen bananas. I don't know if you're supposed to put a whole frozen banana in there, but I did. It did, doom, da, doom, da, doom, da, doom. I got me a good laugh out of myself. I said, that was stupid. <laughs> That was, that was, can you laugh at yourself? I know that God, I told you that God has a sense of humor. Look what he got to work with. <laughs> On the worst day of David's life, he returns with his men home to a place called Ziglag. And when he got there, all he could see was fire and smoke. Everything that mattered most to David and his 600 mighty men, it was gone. And when the men realized that their families were gone, their, their homes were gone, and all that they'd worked for, the Bible says that the 600 men of war, they cried until they couldn't cry anymore. Have you ever cried so hard until your eyes were swollen shut? I know what that's like. You just cry and you cry and you cry until there are no more tears. Bible says when they couldn't cry no more, they figured we ain't going to feel all bad. Somebody is responsible. David, you brought us out here. And the Bible says they went out on Rogers Road and they got those, that big old lot over there. I'm sure they, they got some bricks and stones. And the Bible says that they were preparing to stone David. In their minds, when they were messed up, they thought the way to feel better is to hurt someone who allowed them to be hurt. But the Bible says David thought <laughs> went somewhere else. The scripture said he encouraged himself in the Lord. And some of you don't you won't be able to figure this one out, but there used to be a cartoon character named Popeye. You remember uh, your Popeye? 
and Olive Oil and Brutus, and Brutus would be just beating Popeye up. But when it looked the darkest and it looked like Popeye was finally done, he would somehow get the spinach in him and pop that can open and went to spinach. God and David, we, I'm Popeye. All of a sudden, he was strengthened. All of a sudden, he had an ability to do what he previously could not do. I want you to understand that David took some spinach, and I believe that as he was being prepared to beat stone, he starts saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me what? He restores for his and we left the part out of there. He leads me beside the path of righteousness. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. We left that one out too, but we all know. And then he went into his clothes. Yay, I walk. <laughs> I'm walking now. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. You got bricks and you're gonna hit me with them. You could kill me, but I'm not afraid. I don't fear any evil. Because I've been through this before, not by myself, but the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is with me. And guess what he does? He prepares, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Hasn't he done it for you? Hasn't he prepared a way for you out of no way? He anoints my head. When, you, when your mind is right, he anoints my head with oil. My cup is so full, it's overflowing. Goodness and mercy, this ain't the end. It, we can't lose. I might die on this side, but when the Lord allows my name to be called, I'm going to dwell. I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord. For how long? Forever, forever, and ever, and ever. We need the Lord to renew our minds.